Hello, and welcome to the G2 Podcast. Right, if you've got a Bible uh, on your phone or in person, I, I can't think of the word for that. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's Ezekiel 47, and we're going to read 1 to 12. Uh, if you've been around church, you might recognize this passage. It's a fairly commonly read one. If not, enjoy it. It's bonkers. Um, in this particular passage, uh, we have Ezekiel and, and God giving him this vision. Um, it's a vision that is picked up later on uh, in Scripture. We see it echoed a bit earlier in Daniel, uh, and we see it kind of coming to its full conclusion at the end of Revelation. Um, it's this uh, vision of um, it's this vision of heaven. It's this vision of the Holy Spirit arriving. Uh, and we're going to read it together. So uh, if you've got it open, you can follow along with me. Um, what you need to know before doing this uh, is you need to know that when it's talking about temple, uh, it's referring to the Old Testament temple. Uh, so the temple is the place of sacrifice. Uh, that is uh, the, the, the main purpose of the temple uh, was that was where they would do the uh, the sacrifices to atone for people's sins. Uh, and when we talk about water, when we see water in the Old Testament, um, it's often uh, used to represent the Holy Spirit. Um, bearing in mind at this point uh, in uh, the history of God's people, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the presence of God himself um, is exclusively found inside the temple. Uh, in the center of it, there's this place called the Holy of Holies, uh, and that is where God himself dwells. Uh, and this, therefore, is quite a, a striking thing because they're not used to the Spirit of God leaving the temple very often. Uh, we see it touching a few different people throughout uh, the Old Testament, but it's not often. So those are the things that I want you to think about, that the temple is a place of sacrifice uh, and the water is referring to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read starting at verse 1. So in my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. And there I could see water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. If you are not a visual person, basically what's happening is the water is flowing out of the temple. That's it. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's south, east, west. It, I mean, it does, but we can, we're not looking at that today. But that's, that's what's going on. The water is flowing from the place of sacrifice out. And it says, measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. Uh, he measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. After another 17... 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. So as you see, as the water flows out from the temple, it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, can you tell where this is going? Okay, three people can. <laughs> Carrying on at verse 6, he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. 
Then he said to me, the river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea all the way from Engedi to Englame. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will stay salty. And it says fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will be always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. So in this vision that Ezekiel has, uh, the water is flowing out from the temple, from this place of sacrifice. It is flowing into the desert, uh, and it seems to flow into the Dead Sea. If you don't know anything about the Dead Sea, um, it's a very unusual place. There's lots of rivers flow into it, but no rivers flow out of it. So the water is constantly being added to this sea, and the only way out is for the water to be evaporated off. So the sea, over time, gets saltier and saltier and saltier and denser. If anyone's ever been there, you'll see that people kind of sort of sit up in it and sort of float around in it because they're, they're so buoyant. So the water from, the, from this place, the altar, is flowing into it, making it not salty anymore. With the salt in there, not much life can happen. However, when this this water from the temple arrives, uh, it becomes fruitful again. Uh, And what we see is not only is there fish in the water, uh, but the trees all the way around um, have these bumper crops. Uh, And not only are their fruit useful, um, but the leaves are useful as well. Um, And I think it says there'll, there'll be a new crop every month. So there's a new crop, not once a year, but 12 times a year. So it talks about this fruitfulness being incredibly bountiful. Um, And this particular passage um, is essentially a a prophecy about Jesus. Uh, This passage is talking about the time when Jesus will come uh, and he changes the story forever. Uh, When Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit of God, because of Jesus, is no longer restricted to being in the te- restricted is the wrong word, but it's no longer the Spirit of God dwells in the temple. The Spirit of God, because of Jesus, uh, and what we've just witnessed here in this baptism pool, uh, when we're baptized, we go from death to life. We are made new. We are made clean because of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is able to dwell inside us. The Spirit of God goes from being in this place where, if humans went near it, they they would die. The Holy Spirit goes from that place to being freely available to all of us. Uh, And in here, there's an invitation for us to go deeper and deeper and deeper in the Spirit of God. And it's an invitation. It's an invitation. So I want to talk about three things this afternoon. Um, Three things that I'd like to take from this passage. 
Um, so this, this, this beautiful, beautiful uh, image we have here of life in the Spirit is what we're going to think about today. So first off, my first point is that we are designed to grow. We are designed to grow. And not only we as individuals are designed to grow, but the church is designed to grow. Um, often people look at church in the UK, uh, and the church in the UK often seems stuck. Uh, the figures seem to show a church in decline. Um, it, it looks like the numbers of Christians are dwindling. Whereas in God, in the Spirit, that isn't our reality. Uh, that is not our reality. Our reality as a church is that we are designed to grow and be fruitful. So how on earth do we do that? In John 15, 4, to kind of carry on the botanical theme, uh, it says, For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. The only way that we as individuals and at church can be fruitful in the life uh, of a Christian, in the life of the Spirit, uh, is to remain rooted in him. Uh, to keep our feet firmly in the water of the Spirit. To, to use this thing, it's about plugging uh, these little branches into the vine. I don't know if you know much about growing vines. I learned this the other day. You know seedless grapes? Okay, four of you do, great. Seedless grapes, I always thought, well, how on earth do you grow seedless grapes? Because there's no seeds, right? I can see you're all thinking exactly the same question. Um, the way they grow seedless grapes uh, is essentially they keep on breeding them until the seeds get smaller and smaller. And then when they have this crop of grapes without seeds, they then take that, they cut a little hole into an existing vine, and they stick the branch with the exciting fruit into it and bind it up. And that is how you grow seedless grapes. They're all the same. All the seedless grapes of a species are literally identical species. Look at you all in amazement at this incredible fact that I've given you. Um, but that is how we grow seedless grapes. And that is how we grow quite a lot of fruit, apparently. It's quite common uh, to graft uh, a bit of a plant into another plant in order to grow it. Um, if any of you drive past, you've missed it, but if any of you drive past Holy Trinity Hewitt, uh, which is a little bit that way, there is a, a blossom tree in their garden that was grafted and in the spring, you've seen it, you've seen it. <laughs> in the spring, it has blossom. Half of it is white, half of it is pink. And, and this is what it is like for us, this life in the spirit. We're grafted from being part of something here on earth uh, into a new family. That's what we see when we baptize people. We're taking people from uh, this place, uh, this world of death, into a world of life. We're grafting these people into the family of God. Uh, and we are supposed to be growing. Now, I did have a video. Can we have a go at this? I don't know if you can see it. I might have to narrate it. It's only two and a half minutes long. We'll just have a look at this. Cute, right? Um, when I saw this clip quite a few years ago now, um, I felt God speaking to me through it. Um, you might need to bear with me, um, but basically, um, if you didn't quite catch what was going on, uh, there are some seals, and they've managed to find, basically, an inland pool. Uh, there's this waterfall uh, inside the forest, 
with a great big pool and all of the baby seals meet there. They sort of know to get there and they, they find themselves there. There's no predators, there's no threat. Um, and they spend a little bit of time there basically playing. Um, and when they're playing with one another, um, as he said uh, on, on the clip, what they're doing is they're learning valuable life skills. Um, I, I said that I believe that, that, that life and the spirit is we are designed to grow. Church is designed to grow. Uh, this image for me speaks really powerfully of what church is supposed to be. Um, church needs to be a place where we come, uh, where we play with one another. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a, a thing that we can enjoy. Um, and it is not the final destination. Uh, church is a place we gather, we support one another, we pray together, uh, but then we're supposed to go back out into the real world. Uh, and we're supposed to use the skills that we learn in church out there. Um, a problem for the church um, across time has been uh, when church has turned into club. Um, when we meet together, uh, we enjoy one another's company and we don't really want to invite anyone else in, thank you very much, because it's inconvenient. Um, and it changes the dynamics of what we've got here. Uh, that pool has been there for a long time. Uh, and seal pups have come and gone. And new seal pups have arrived. Um, if that's not a symbol of growth, I don't know what else is. Um, but for me, that, that image uh, of coming together and playing um, and enjoying the growth, learning how to do stuff uh, and then going is, is an incredible image. That's point one. So we're designed to grow. Um, and I think sometimes we have to be careful because sometimes we think uh, that we've arrived somewhere. Uh, we think that we're finished. We think that we're done. We think that we've sort of got everything wrapped up. Uh, and the reality of Christian life is that whatever age you are, we, we still need to grow. We still need to find places where God uh, can shape us. So if we're designed to grow, what then is that growth supposed to look like? So my second point um, is about uh, fruitfulness in the spirit. So if we are designed to grow, our natural state of being in the spirit is fruitfulness. In the passage, we saw this fruitfulness, not just like normal fruitfulness, not one lot of fruit a year, but of 12 lots of fruit a year. And not only were the fruit useful, the leaves were useful, every part of those trees at the side of this river are useful. Again, that is another example of what our life is supposed to be uh, when we become Christians. I've got a little clip, a little clip, <laughs> a little quote from Romans 6. Um, I've chosen the message because of a phrasing at the end, which I absolutely love. It says, this is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. I love that description of baptism. A new life in a new land. Uh, when we become Christians, uh, when we are baptized, when we give our life to Christ, uh, we become new people. Uh, and what the Bible describes that is, it describes us as being citizens of heaven. Um, and what that means is that we simply no longer belong to the earth. It describes us as aliens whilst we're here. Uh, we are taken by God 
from this place into heaven. We become citizens of heaven. And we know that's not our reality because when we become Christians, bad stuff still happens. We still do bad stuff. Stuff's not fair. It's not like when you become a Christian, you get all the parking spaces you need, uh, lots of surprise tax rebates on tax you didn't even pay. Like, that isn't quite the reality of life for Christians. Sorry, you three, if that was a surprise. <laughs> um, but Christian life isn't especially necessarily better than anyone else's. But what it means is that we no longer belong here. Our origin and our identity isn't about living here. We are now citizens of heaven. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are daughters and sons of the most high God. My identity is now not as a member of this world, but the Bible describes me as a saint, a holy one. And I don't often feel like a holy one. Um, about four years ago, um, I was praying at an event and I felt God told me something um, and it was really weird. And so I ignored it, which is what I tend to do when God tells me something. Um, but it, it kept coming back to me again and again and again. And the thing that God said to me was that you need to wear red socks now. Um, so I was like, okay, what? Like, what? Like, what's that about? Um, so it took me about two months, if I'm being really honest, um, to agree uh, to the red sock thing. Um, and I went out and bought red socks. Turns out, red socks, not that easy to buy. Um, you can normally get one in a pack of five of other different colors. Uh, and I have a whole drawer full of really multicolored socks um, that I can't wear. Um, but <laughs> but uh, God asked me to wear red socks. And I am indeed wearing red socks still. You can just about see them. Um, and the reason for that wasn't obvious at first. Um, but after a while, uh, God began to speak to me through my socks. Um, sure. Um, <laughs> um, and one of the things God talked to me about is when I, whenever I would go somewhere, uh, I would have these red socks on. Uh, and everywhere I went, that was the thing that was either touching my shoe or touching the floor. Um, and obviously in the Bible, red often signifies the blood of Christ. Uh, and so for me, everywhere I went, my feet were covered in, bear with me, the blood of Christ <laughs> um, through my red socks. Uh, and God started to speak to me really powerfully about who I was. Uh, and it was a constant reminder. And I found myself, if ever I was in a situation when I wanted to do something that I shouldn't have been doing, I had red socks on. So I couldn't do that thing that I wanted to do. And God began to speak to me about who I was as a saint, as a holy one. Um, and I've been wearing red socks for four years now. Um, and it's surprising the number of times he still has to speak to me um, about doing what I'm told um, or being obedient to him. Um, but fortunately, if ever I try and forget that, I'm wearing red socks. So I can't not. Our identity changes. And it's a silly thing wearing red socks. But it is a constant reminder for me um, that he has changed who I am fundamentally. One of the biggest things that's going on uh, in a generation at the moment is to do with uh, anxiety, with uh, struggling mental health, uh, with people just not knowing where they fit and where they belong and who they are. In Christ, we are offered some real answers to who we are. 
Because in the Bible, in Scripture, because of Jesus, because of our baptism, we are reminded whose we are. We belong to Christ. We are no longer part of the regime of this world. We are part of a new regime, a regime that speaks of life and healing and transformation and beauty. John 15, 5 says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. This fruit uh, that we are promised as Christians um, comes through uh, our character and our understanding of our identity in Christ. And our identity in Christ, interestingly, isn't as an individual. Our identity in Christ is as one of a group. We become family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. When we are baptized, we are baptized not as an individual, but into a family. We find our identity in Christ through church. And as we change, as our identity and our character develops through keeping our feet well and truly in him, uh, we find things uh, growing out of us that we weren't expecting. I'm not going to talk about them too much, but we have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Thank you. That's why I went to Bible college. And these are, it's one fruit, by the way, not fruits. Uh, It is something that grows. Fruit grows when the plant is watered. When we ourselves are watered in the Spirit of God, this stuff comes out of us. It's not something we really, really have to try that hard. If we allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in us, this character stuff begins to come out of us. Um, And as Christians, not only do we have fruit of the Spirit, uh, our fruitfulness extends into gifts of the Spirit. Um, We we see in Scripture uh, God giving his children a number of gifts. And all of these gifts, uh, most of them aren't actually for us, interestingly. When God gives us a gift, it is given so that we can benefit those people around us. Like the seals, we can benefit those in church. We can practice our gifts of healing and teaching and pastoring and administering. We can practice these gifts here, but they are to bless the rest of the world. And so as Christians, we need to be... (laughs) Passive aggressive watch. When we receive the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, our character grows in him. The gifts of the Spirit, as we ask for them, come out of us. And we are able to do things that we could not do previously. And all of these things are to benefit those people outside of us. The final point I want to make, and then I will shut up. I'm sorry, I've talked a lot. (laughs) The final point I want to make is this river flows out of the temple. It flows out of the temple. Everything we learn here, everything we learn here is to go out. Everything. Everything God has given you uh, is to be given away. The fruit of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit aren't for us. This church isn't a bless up. It's not a place where we can come, have a great time and go away. Um, I'm sorry if that's a surprise, but church is not a place you come to receive although it is. That's the the interesting state of church. 
We, we come like those seals to play, to learn, to look after one another, to support each other. And in turn, these gifts of the Spirit come out of us and they're all to be given away as testimony. At the end of the passage, every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. We need to ask for more. It isn't greedy to ask for more gifts and fruit of the Spirit because they don't benefit you. They benefit everybody else. If anything, it's greedy not to ask for them because God gives these gifts to his church and his church is a bunch of individuals simply saying yes to God, to what he's asking of us. And when we ask for more of his spirit, more of the gifts of the spirit, because we want to see God at work, we're asking on behalf of everybody else. I think I'm going to shut up. So should we pray? Great. <laughs> Now's the good bit. So we're going to pray. Um, I think there's a couple of things I'd like to pray for today. Um, one is a nice general, let's receive the Holy Spirit. Um, if you've never done that, then I'll, uh, I'll guide you through. Don't worry, we'll be okay. Um, but I think today, uh, in particular, I think uh, there's some stuff around identity. Um, maybe that was news to you, that actually identity can be found in Christ. Uh, that he can begin to do a work in you that is incredibly foundational. Um, and I think the third thing I'd like to pray for is that we can receive some gifts of the Spirit, if that's okay. Um, so can everybody who's able to stand get up? Um, if you've never done this before, that's okay. Um, there'll be other people who have in the room, so just watch them, that's fine. Um, I told you it's all shared. Um, if you just want to put your hands out, if you want to close your eyes, you don't have to do either of those things. Um, it, putting your hands out is just a simple gesture. Um, it's, it's making your body align with your spirit. And I'm going to pray the oldest prayer of the church is come Holy Spirit we're just going to wait a little bit if you've never done this before you can drown out my voice by the way if that's not helpful if you've never done this before when we pray, when we ask God for stuff it's not about a constant dialogue in your head this isn't the chance for you to give your shopping list it's simply about waiting you can make your brain blank if you can do that I'm not very good at that or you could just simply, under your breath, you could whisper the name Jesus. It gives you something to focus on. Come, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to guide us through a few things. If God's speaking to you, that's fine. Again, please drown me out. Um, but if, if one of those things is for you, if, if that thing to do with identity is for you, um, you feel that you might have, I don't know, you've been trying to find your identity in the wrong places, uh, through relationships, through work, through clothes. Through self-help books. 
just feel like you're, you're just hitting a brick wall. You're just not getting the thing that you want. If that's you, um, I, I just invite you just to maybe just put your hand on your heart. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would melt the ice that surrounds our hearts. Lord, begin to whisper words of love into our ears. Daughter, son, love. said was about gifts of the spirit now is the time for your shopping list if any of you there's something in your heart that you just you just really want to see something and you might have kind of passed it off as just a bit of like oh I want to see a cool thing or oh, I want to look really good that's fine look look at the heart if there's a if there's a gift of the spirit that you would like to ask daddy for today then just in the silence just begin to ask him for more I think God wants to give the gift of healing today the gift of leadership that's a difficult one to ask for ask for any of them knock yourself out, ask for the lot but not for you to a time of song worship now um, but if God's doing something just stay in that place again if you've not done that before it's not difficult you just stay there <laughs> it's fine I think some of you are actually feeling a bit of heat I'm not sure if that's in your hands or on, on your face um, if that's you we'd love to bless that um, sometimes God does things a little bit weird in my experience. God will do the thing and you have to understand it later. But that's okay. That's okay. I think some yeah, I think some people are feeling a bit of heat either on their hands or I don't know, I feel like cheeks maybe or lips. I think if you can feel heat on your hands, that might be to do with the gift of healing. And I think if it's on your mouth, I think that might be the gift of either teaching or evangelism. Um and I think the face thing might be about worship. That God might be calling you into a place of actually just coming into the presence of God and just feeling the heat of him on your face. If you're not feeling heat, that's fine. <laughs> God might still be saying those things to you. It's not an exact science. 
I'm going to invite you um, as we as we begin to to, to sing to worship. Um, the, the, the baptismal water is in the middle. Um, if God's been speaking to you about your identity, in particular, I want to invite you just to come and dip your finger in the water and just sign yourself with a cross on your forehead. It's not a particularly uh, religious thing. I just mean it's kind of reminding you of, of your baptism. Just to remind you when, when a cross was placed on your forehead. And if you've not been baptised, that's fine. You can have the cross too. <laughs> um, and if you feel like you want to uh, ask God for uh, one of those gifts, um, then there'll be a few people that will pray somewhere over here. Um and we'll pray with you and we'll ask God to uh, bless you with these gifts. So I'm going to invite anybody that wants to just to dip your finger and just sign yourself with a cross as we worship. And I'm going to shut up. <laughs>